Welcome to The Natural Underground, the radio show and podcast dedicated to the natural food industry. I'm your host, Al Springer. This program is brought to you by New Brand University, the educational arm of the Touch Agency. Uh, joining me in the studio this week, an expert team of brand builders. We have Jessalyn, our Pied Piper of all things creative, and most importantly, if I'm not mistaken, the new co-host of Food & Think, a cooking show that can be heard every week right here on this very station. That's me. Nice. Well, congratulations Thank on you. That. It's very fun. Also joining us in the studio is Ryan, a man of relevance, a man of distinction. Mm. Also, you like that? Also a man who on occasion can sport a 1970s porn mustache and pull it off. Well, Ooh. maybe let's not go that far. Yeah, probably not. But he is an expert on all things new brands and new product launches. And you know, when I was uh, taking notes to introduce you, Ryan, I accidentally wrote down just porn stash, which is a very different thing that you'd have a large stash very of porn different. would be mm. a much different we don't intro put that on you. than a mustache. No. That's right. We no, don't thanks. know. There may be you, but we don't know. <laughs> Right? And actually, it's funny, you shaved today. Normally, you have a bit of a right. beard, but today you're just a baby face. He looks mm-hmm. now less like a guy who would have a porn star. <laughs> or more. Right. Depending on really how you look at it. Well, I'm really excited about today's show. We have a great guest coming on in a few minutes. Yes, we do. I've heard so much about this guy. He's one of the most creative entrepreneurs in the world of natural and better for you foods. Everyone here, I think, has met him but me, so I'm really excited Mm -hmm. that I finally get a chance. Purposely kept him away from you. Our best for last. Yes. Yeah, well, but I'm so excited that I finally get a chance to meet Scott Jensen. He is the founder of a number of great brands, including Rhythm Superfoods. He also helped start Stubbs Barbecue Sauce, which is an incredible barbecue sauce sold around the country. But here in Austin, it means something different. It's a mm-hmm. very storied music venue. Lots yeah. of big, uh, lots of big brand, uh, bands have played there. Mm-hmm. I've probably I'm seen... gonna get that out in a minute. Lots of big bands have played <laughs> there. So we're waiting. I've seen probably ten or fifteen shows there, and everyone's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool venue. Most importantly for our show, though, he is a fount of knowledge relative to starting a food company. So this should yeah. be great. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you know, Scott. Speaking of Stubbs, he can tell you some amazing stories about Stubbs. They've hosted incredible acts like Bob Dylan, right? Wow. Um, and I was thinking about that just that he's coming in, but I've also had a related issue this week. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? and you simply can't get it to go away. Mm-hmm. It's in there just tying up yeah. valuable mm-hmm. space. Gila River Casino for me. Oh, Arizona. that was back in Mine Arizona. I remember the that. Yeah. Young Man. What's that Neil Young song? Yeah, Young Man. Yeah, right. It's a lot like me. <laughs> right. Well, I was with my wife this weekend, and we were in uh, Galveston, Texas. We had wandered into kind of one of those uh, rambling uh, antique stores that mm-hmm. have little booths in them. Yeah. And most of it is just, you know, goofy and nobody wants it. And this was clearly one of those things. So I found an album cover and it it was not Bob Dylan. It was far from it. It was Captain and Tennille. Oh, no. I know. And and you and I have talked about this song before. Yeah, we have. You don't, what nobody wants is to get the song Muskrat Love stuck into your head. Because if you're like me, I tend to sing over and over again all day long. Little snippets of a song that becomes then the the sort of soundtrack for my day. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, Muskrat Love, which you know is Muskrat Susie. Muskrat Sam. Muskrat Sam. What's the next part? I think it's all living Doing together. The in, doozy. <laughs> in Muskrat <laughs> Land or something like that. 
<laughs> and it sounds like thing. a masterpiece. Oh, oh, it is just glorious. And there's weird, like, bubbling noises and other things that it's happen. It's the um, hamsters are playing synthesizers. Or the muskrats, sorry. That's right. Mm-hmm. They're the backup band. <laughs> which How makes... much more clear could they be that they were muskrats? Actually, I yeah. feel like in Anchorman or something, they actually they, play it. Is it yes. when the bus is flipping over in Anchorman 2? Something like that. I know it is <laughs> Anchorman. Listening to muskrat <laughs> love. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> but I've been singing bad. that all week, and I, I found myself singing it while I was walking into a men's room, which clears out a men's room real fast. Mm-hmm. If you, you need can't privacy, just be standing in front of the did. urinal singing Muskrat Susie, Muskrat <laughs> Sam. I mean, it emptied out instantly, which maybe is something you could use in your wow. you know, in the future in your favor. That's so amazing. All right. All right. Well, let's move on maybe from the muskrats to our what are you eating this week segment? Yes. This is our salute to our favorite better for you food or beverage addictions. Time's a waste and don't you know Put something tasty in my old pie Oh, Ryan, thanks wow, for Ryan, closing it down a little with harmony. <laughs> you know, that probably is at the same level as muskrat love would be uh, pie hole. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think we ever want to mix those songs, though, because that no. just wouldn't It would wouldn't create be a well. black hole of greatness. Oh, it would be awful. Mm. Or great. You're right. Uh, well, my product this week is Guayaquil Herba Mate, mm. right? And if you mm-hmm. guys have seen this in the store, if you're not fam- familiar with it, it's these, they have these big yellow cans, uh, cool artwork on the front. It tastes kind of like a earthy uh, flavored tea, I guess is the way I would describe it. Mm -hmm. It has the strength of coffee, the health benefits of tea, and the part that I like, kind of that euphoric feeling of chocolate. Right. And the unpronounceability of kombucha. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it really does. All in a beverage option. So how's that for a description? That's funny. So uh, for centuries, the Guayaquil tribe in South America sipped this drink from a gourd, like a mate gourd. So it has this amazing story, great personality. And I have to admit, I'm kind of biased because I know one of the characters there that sort of works at uh, Guayaquil named Pat. And if you know any Pat stories in the natural food industry, He's fantastic. Right. So by definition, we want it to do well, but but it does really well mm-hmm. in natural. Um, you can you can find it big, tall yellow cans. They also have some loose leaf options. Uh, for more information, if you want to know more, go to guayaki.com, and that's g u a y a k i dot com. Jesslyn. Um, my brand is a little easier to pronounce. Yes. <laughs> Bearded Brothers. It's the energy bar here out of Austin. Very tasty. I love it. Uh, and it has really cool packaging. It's kind of like that brown like paper. It's kind of stands out on the shelf. But it was started by two men, Chris and Caleb. And they wanted to create a bar that they didn't feel like was available to them. They wanted something to fuel their outdoor adventures. They go like rock climbing and running and traveling. They're very active. So they decided to create this bar. It's organic. Gluten-free, vegan, raw, and soy-free. And delicious. And really good. My favorite um, skew is actually their most popular. It's the blueberry vanilla. It has no added sugars, so it's made with dates, um, almonds, vanilla rice protein, dried blueberries, chia seeds, and sea salt. Ooh, that's They're really good. filling and really um, delicious, so I love all the different And they're varieties. kind of in cool packaging, kind of a matted looking. Right, like uh, I said, it looks very like, kind of like um, someone did it at home. Yeah. And the two Which, founders look exactly how you would imagine they would. Oh, okay. they're bearded brothers. The, yeah, like they a, hike, they make good energy bars, uh-huh. they drink craft beer. There's yeah. that little picture of them on the front, and right. that's exactly how they look in real yeah. life. How do they find out more? If you want to uh, try these bars, you can find them here locally in Austin at HEB, Wheatsville Co-op, Whole Foods, Royal Blue, many others. And if you'd like more information, you can go to beardedbros.com. Excellent. Ryan? Instead of spotlighting a product this week, I wanted to talk about a huge purchase. As Donald Trump would say, huge. Bigly. Bigly. 
White Wave Foods was purchased by French company Danon for $10.1 billion last week. Wow. Packet change. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you may recognize White Wave as the owners of Silk, Horizon, Vega, Wallaby, mm-hmm. and other major natural CPG brands. This purchase is yet another indication that major conventional players still see natural CPG as a leading or the leading source of growth for both the present and the future. Oh, man, it's the ultimate incubator. If you shop yeah. natural or you work in the natural industry, as we all do, it is the ultimate incubator. It's where innovation happens, and then, mm-hmm. of course, something like this comes along, and mm-hmm. a big brand buys, buys the company. So it'll be very interesting to see where that goes, but I suppose we should definitely congratulate all the folks who yeah. are involved and work with uh, White Wave. Absolutely. Look, it's time for a break. If you want to know more, if, if you after you listen to this interview, if you want to know more, send us a little note at info at newbranduniversity.com. Certainly follow us on Facebook. Again, when we come back, you're going to love Scott. Scott Jensen coming up. You're listening to The Natural Underground. Welcome back to The Natural Underground. We're so excited by our guest. This is going to be great. Look, over the last 30 years, we've all witnessed an evolution in snacking. You know, after years of getting our kind of collective snacks on, which just meant it was all about taste. Mm-hmm. You just, if it, it was about shoving that tasty Twinkie down the hatch, we kind of all decided mm-hmm. to start taking things out that seemed less healthy. Uh, first, it was fat, right? Everything was low fat. Fat was the enemy. Following that, we kind of moved into the low-calorie craze, and that's all anyone cared about. Then it was lowering sugar specifically. If we could just avoid sugar, everything would be okay. Well, all of those snacking fads kind of revolved around one concept. Snack less bad, feel less guilt, Mm -hmm. right? That was kind of the old model. Well, our guest today is Scott Jensen, founder and CEO of Rhythm Superfoods. His company is pushing a very different concept. Forget less bad, forget less guilt. Your snack should be all good, and you should be proud of what you're putting in that pie hole of yours, right? So we're that's why we're excited. This dude is changing the way we snack. Mm-hmm. Scott, welcome to the Natural Underground. Thank you. What an introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> it is. That was about a 20-minute intro, so you have no more time for the interview, but I just wanted, that's to, all we wanted. For coming. <laughs> wanted to lay that out there. So what exactly is Rhythm Superfoods? It's a cool name. What does it mean? Yeah, so the word superfood is, uh, you know, in the in the world of food, it's not really defined by anyone, right. uh, but also defined by everyone. So we have our own take on it. You know, we, we use highly uh, nutritiously dense uh, raw materials, raw materials being fruits, vegetables, seeds. So we're not picking the vacant carbohydrates of, say, a white potato, right? Um, but instead using like kale, a superfood, and then simply processing it so that it's uh, holding on to as much of its nutrient, uh, you know, beneficial vitamins as it can hold on to after yeah. we dehydrate it gently. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. Simply processing, processing it and dehydrating it gently. What does that process look like? And is it the same for all your products, or is this just the kale we're talking about? Um, for the most part, we use dehydration. Uh, we do have a little bit of roasting on our brand new uh, roasted lacinato uh, chips that we sell, which oh, are super interesting and very difficult to make. But um, <laughs> most of our processes center around warm air dehydration. 
And so we'll take if you if you were to buy a bunch, you know, a, a twisted tie bunch of kale in a supermarket, it might be somewhere in the, you know, fourteen to eighteen ounces of kale. Okay. So we hand destem the stem from right. the leaf of it, and that weighs about thirty percent. Uh, that that gets recomposted back at our farms. Okay. Um, and then you take that kale and you wash it four times, triple, quadruple wash it, just to get um, what we call a a five or six log reduction in uh, the things that you want to get out of produce so that people are safe. Um, we dry it, spin dry it. And while all that process is going on, we've got someone making what's basically a salad dressing. It's a, it's a flavor dressing that you then tumble with the kale. Like your ranch. Correct. So we have the cool ranch flavor and it, it tastes very different as a wet salad dressing. It doesn't taste like ranch. Um, when you're pulling like 98% of the moisture out of some of the ingredients, it changes the taste. Changes it completely. So right. it's like a hundred R&D versions before you get it right. How do you make something taste like curry? Well, it's really difficult when you're tasting it wet and then 12 mm. hours later it has oh, a very different flavor. It takes a lot of time to... So you've eaten a lot of kale, my, my man. Yeah, still am too. I mean, you got to take a break from it now and then, but um, <laughs> that's why we came out with the broccoli bites. Yeah. So we tumble it together and it's this wet salad, just like you'd have a, a mixed salad. And mm-hmm. it and it, it goes uh, onto big trays mm-hmm. that are then pushed in. Uh, there's like 35 trays per rack and oh, we push them wow. into these big dehydrators. And, you know, like Ronco said, like, set it and forget it. So you press the button, turn it on, and 120 degrees, 14 hours later, it's crunchy and ready to be shelf-stable inside oh, a bag. And it's – guys, if you haven't tried it, I man, have. no, I mean, even the listeners, it is fantastic. You got it. I'm just excited that I have. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Thank you. Uh, like, your first product was kale, if I'm not mistaken, of any consequence, it was. right? What inspired you to kind of pick kale first? Well, you know, before – I got involved in the company. Um, it was Daily Juice, the juice and smoothie bar, you know, right. located mm-hmm. here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. And Keith War, who was the co-founder of that company, had developed the flavors and the recipes for kale chip. And I was um, uh, pulling out of my role as CEO at Rhythm or at uh, Stubbs Barbecue Sauce right. in past life at that time, looking for something on the natural organic side to do. And uh, Keith turned me on to his kale chips that he was making here in Austin in the back of one of the uh, Daily Juice uh, restaurants. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, these are super unusual. I don't know if the world's ready for them, but they're crunchy, they're tasty. And it was developed by him. And we just kind of put the framework around it with a company that, you know, would develop packaging and scale up the dehydration chambers and buy bigger ones and hire salespeople. Did consumers get it at first, or was that kind of a struggle explaining what kale chips in a bag were? You know, no, it, they did, no one got it. Um, the, I think foodies people make kale though at home, or did that happen almost after the brand got out there? In well, a way? it did, and and I think you know we're all kind of in the food business, so we pay attention to a lot of things way before you, you know someone in the Midwest is seeing something, right? Um, <laughs> and not no, nothing against the Midwest. I love the Poor Midwest Indiana. there. Yeah. But the stuff comes from the coasts often, particularly the odd stuff, and then yeah. it takes a few years for it to become kind of general mass audience. And so as I sent samples out to a bunch of customers and uh, uh, old customers, retailers that I was working with at Stubbs and brokers, they were blown away by it. But they had, you know, I said kale chips, and they're like, oh, you grow kelp you know, in the ocean. That's cool. You're doing <laughs> seaweed. And so that <laughs> Which was big. It was yeah. kind of big about that time, starting to get big. And kale was really only used for two things at that time. Um, Kale was either a decorative, colorful plant that you put along your sidewalk into your home, or 
it was the green that separated like a tenderloin from a ribeye from a you know New York strip in the prime meat case. It, right. it, it lasted a long time. I usually don't order just that. I don't mm. want the steaks. Yeah. The steaks are beautiful. I just want that little piece of green there. How yeah. can I get some of that? That really was what it was. You know, no one would buy it in the supermarket. So, <laughs> and now it's you know sold at McDonald's and salads and. Well, the people. So I, I've tried and I've made a kale at home and it was pretty good. But it wasn't as good as what's in your bag. Why is that? Am I just a amateur, as they say? You know, there's some things that are more kind of technology-based. Like the, the ovens at home don't have the ability for moisture to escape outside of an oven. So the only thing you can really do is roast. And if you're going to roast the kale, which is a way of dehydrating it, but yeah. some of the moisture is captured inside the, uh, the oven, um, the, there's probably a one to two minute time period between when it's finished and when it's burnt. Oh. So yeah. you really got to know what you're doing at the oven. For us, we're using, you know, if you're roasting at 375 or something like that, um, it, you know, that is a way of pulling the moisture out of it, making it crunchy and delicious. But um, our, our kale uh, uses a better technology. It pushes moisture outside of the dehydrator. Um, like every three or four minutes, there's an automatic valve that opens the exhaust valve, lets the moisture out, then closes, and then hot air recirculates pulls moisture out of the surface of the kale and uh, over 12 to 14 hours pulls 98% of the moisture it, out of it. Is your, if you use a dehydrator, then are you technically raw, even if you don't talk a lot about that? Or Yeah, we are. Yeah. And, okay. and early on when um, there was a, a tremendous amount of talk in, in the grocery industry about raw foods movement and people were developing um, all these great raw products, um, there seemed to be a lot of energy behind setting up space inside the supermarkets to uh, to market that product. And so we are raw on our kale chips and our broccoli bites. Um, but there, there's there's a few things that we try to stay away from as a company. And, and it, it, there's some guilt within the natural food industry in and of itself is there's a little bit of snake oil sales men out there and and part of our industry is that like you jump on a fad and you start telling people you're going to cure cancer with something and then a year later we find out it actually causes cancer and I'm, I'm being facetious in a way but there is that element to what goes on and me personally i ardently stay away from that so i'm not trying to claim that we have this enzyme or that enzyme i'm really trying to make something super delicious and let the nutrition panel on the back speak, speak for, for what itself. the nutrition is yeah. oh that's that's great how do you guys come up with new flavors and are some inspired by more traditional snacks definitely inspired by more traditional snacks we we, we made a conscious decision early on that we had a really really unusual product mm -hmm. um something that people were not going to be able to grab onto and understand just by looking at it on the package or if you put a window seeing what's on the inside right so we knew it was weird uh so we also knew that we had to kind of come up with some maybe mainstream flavors that made people feel a little bit more comfortable um you know making that initial purchase if you will so uh keith war has pretty much developed all the flavors we have right now he was one of the co-founders from the very beginning yeah and uh, has a real great you know kind of thought leader approach about the ingredients he uses and how he comes up with the flavors. So he's pretty much the dynamic uh, developer of the flavors. And I was saying before, like what it tastes like wet as a salad dressing is very different than it's going to taste like once it's dry. So his experience is kind of like, you know, one of our skeletons in the closet. Like you can't just come in as a food scientist and say, let me tell you how we're going to make this new mango flavor. You've never done dehydration before. It's going to take you like six months just to learn how to do that. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, how important is it to you to use non-GMO ingredients? So the non, uh, everything we make is non-GMO. Right. And uh, honestly, you know, it, it's, it was easy for us. Uh, so there wasn't this, you know, we weren't committed to certain raw materials that were already like, oh my God, we're going to have to make changes here. It's like, all you have to do is make sure that the seeds that you're buying for your kale or your broccoli are coming from a non-GMO source. Right. And it's very simple to do that. Um, the spices and the other things that we use in ingredients, all of those products were already available and we were already non-GMO when the non-GMO project started gaining some traction. So we found it super easy. I mean, we, we didn't develop that process. We're, we're certainly behind it and support it wholeheartedly. Um, some of the folks like Errol Schweitzer um, and Dwight Richmond over at, uh, at Whole Foods, who were at Whole Foods at the time, yep. were, were real pioneers in saying this is another step of just you know securing our food chain so we all know where things are coming from. But we found it pretty simple. The process wasn't simple. Right. Dealing with the mm-hmm. non-GMO verification process was like pulling teeth, but it's because they're so certain about how they need to do things and they want to make sure it's true. Um, they really put you through a rigorous process. We only have about another minute in this first segment, but I want to ask you, how'd you, you know, what made you look beyond kale then? Why all the other products that have been recently introduced? Yeah, you know, so I think, you know, that's one of the strategic things that any entrepreneur and their team has to ask. Uh, you know, are, are you a one-trick pony, or does this company have the ability to spread its wings wider? And we knew from just the R&D we were doing in general and the small little dehydrators we have that we had other things available to us. Like, it would be really cool to use this, like, centuries-old technology of using warm air to um, pull the moisture out, which makes it safe for the shelf. And also makes it crunchy. Um, let's develop this whole snacking platform around. But kale was what Keith came up with first. And it was so delicious. It really, we were wrapped around the axle for about three years just focusing on how do we get more capacity to make more kale and get more farmers and get more, you know, capital to buy these $400,000 machines. So that that's why we were so focused on it at first. That is so good. Well, we're going to ask you lots more, lots more to talk about we got to take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to dig more into the world of entrepreneurship with our guest, Scott Jensen from Rhythm Superfoods. As a reminder, if you have any questions regarding our program today, make sure to email us at info at newbranduniversity.com. You're listening to The Natural Underground. back to the natural underground we're back with scott jensen founder and ceo of rhythm superfoods before we talk more about the brand and the products let's talk a little bit about you scott let's get super deep into that mind how do you feel like it yeah how do you feel today (laughs) so when you were in high school did you always want to be a business guy or did you just want to pursue the obvious career choice of being a supermodel that others would have had for you uh it goes back to grade school oh. for sure. Like uh, my, my folks and we were originally from the Northeast, but my father had a, a bank position he took down in Fort Lauderdale. So we used to make the I-95 route back oh, and forth. That's a lot of traffic. And one year, I think I was in my second or third grade and we were stopping at some, you know, Stuckies or something on the highway. 
and I saw these Pop Rocks, and I can't remember who was making them. Nice. Either. General Foods or something. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen them before, and they cracked in your mouth. And I was Super like, healthy, too, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nutrition. Clean, clean, That's all natural. <laughs> so I bought like two boxes of that, brought it back to Florida. And so it was being test marketed in like Tennessee or something like that. So uh, brought them back, and I bought them for 10 cents a package, and people were paying me 50 cents for them. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like this food business. I love this model. Sell model. <laughs> <laughs> and then, to kids. and then I, I knew, like you know, very very early on, my mom was a great cook and is a great cook, and spent a lot of time in the kitchen. So I knew I was going to be in food in some way for sure right. from the very beginning. So you kind of jump forward a little bit. You started the legendary Stubbs. Well, help start with a team of folks. I think yeah. uh, Stubbs Barbecue in Austin. When you created Stubbs. Did you start out trying to create a restaurant, a product for retail, a music venue, or all of the above? Well, it's kind of all of the above. We knew that uh, Stubb himself, C.B. Stubblefield, who was the, our co-founder and really founder of the Stubbs concept, but at the time that my partners and I jumped ship out of the big business world in, in New York and decided to move back down to Texas, uh, we, we started with a barbecue sauce because Stubb sauce was so delicious. Right. Um, that's how we really started is he sent us up some bottles. Uh, Joe Ely had designed a label. Oh, the musician. Yeah. And uh, he got some bottles from Steve Wertheimer from the uh, Continental Club, some old Jack Daniels bottles, filled them up with barbecue sauce, wow. sent us up to us in New York City. And we were drinking them out of the bottle. And we were just like, this is incredible. We got to nice. start a business. That's classic. <clears throat> yeah. So for the next two years, we started writing a business plan. That's that's really how it started. So the barbecue sauce was first. We started what was called East Broadway Q Corporation uh, that migrated into One World Food slash Stubbs Barbecue. So we had the barbecue sauce company before uh, any the other stuff started. Uh, but Stubb himself always loved music. He was a music pioneer, and he had um, he always had a stage at his restaurants that he had in Austin and Lubbock and. He had one in uh, New Mexico at one point. So we knew we had to put a place for him to hang his hat and to surround ourselves with the music that he you know, created his own personal brand with. So we found this piece of property down in downtown Austin. We, we knew we had to buy it. We bought it and, and said, let's build the stubs here. Um, the, it was the, a pretty sleepy neighborhood at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was pimps and prostitutes. <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, that's what I meant by sleeping. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> Literally, I'll tell you stories later that will just blow your mind. But we, <laughs> we were the first ones to kind of convert that zone over there. And it's, you know, you could chip a nine iron to the police uh, department's headquarters. So it's kind of odd, but it really was, uh, you know, a really, it was, the whole area was a homeless shelter. So uh, when we came in there, other bars and restaurants started uh, lightening right. up that location and, and became a real great institution it still is i mean we we got a hundred sold out shows a year over there the gospel brunch is always sold out great barbecue what's the best band or musical performer that you remember seeing there and that's maybe an unfair question uh yeah you know uh, maybe some that are more memorable uh, first of all the the most memorable to the friends when you have a ownership stake in a place like that everyone comes out of the woodwork for tickets so i'm sure they do <laughs> the hardest one to get was when bob dylan came and he yeah. was playing at the acl festival and he was playing at Stubbs uh later that night or the next day so there was like 50 people emailing me saying i gotta get on the vip deck i gotta get on the vip deck so um huge fans of bob dylan i was not nearly as big a fan as these other folks were but um i like the lady gaga performance we had at uh, south by southwest two years ago she put herself strapped herself to a metal spit and had dancers come out and spin her as she was tied to the spit <laughs> like she was a, a 
like a rack That's of fantastic. ribs or something over a fire. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I actually saw one of my favorite musicians is coming in September, Glenn Hansard. Oh, I saw cool. He's playing at Stubbs, and I'm ready for give my tickets. All right. Yeah. That's shoot, awesome. Shoot your email to me. We'll get you on the guest list. Oh, well, great. I can't say that on the heels of the story you just told about. Everyone <laughs> yeah, trying to get tickets. You. <laughs> that might be a little easier than Bob Dylan. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I he love is him. Great. No, mm-hmm. he, absolutely. So let's jump to rhythm. What were the early days like at rhythm? You know, so you get, you get the kale chip going. You got to convince people what it is. What were those early days like? Were you uh, ever regretting starting it? Were you, was it a nervous moment? Um, I think, you know, as most entrepreneurs, uh, 99% of them have the same, you know, same kind of path on a daily basis. Like it's three steps forward, two steps back. There's always stuff that are setting you back. You have these great dreams and you have to have the dreams as an entrepreneur to like lead your team. So, but we had a really difficult uphill battle first communicating what the product was in the packaging. And so there were several iteration iterations of the packaging that needed to be done before we had it right. Um, and it is technically difficult to make what we do. Like you have all these racks and, and, and trays inside a dehydrator and from the front to the back, the, the moisture level is high and low in different racks and trays in different areas. So it's not just like, uh, you know, a, a chip fryer that, you know, 99% of the chips come out three month, three minutes later and they're all exactly the same. It's technically difficult. And mm-hmm. we're dealing, uh, I, I call ourselves a produce company because we're dealing with fresh produce acts of God, rain and lack of rain and too much sun and too little sun and all those things play play out as a produce buyer like we are. The stuff that we buy to make into snacks uh, has about a you know nine or 10 day shelf life once it's been picked. Wow. And so we're buying it from all over North America from you know the Pacific Northwest to California to south of the border. <clears throat> and the, the trucks refrigerated bringing them around sometimes break down and you've got 30 people plan to show up on a Tuesday and there's Your no products in uh, Marfa, Texas or you know, Fort Stockton yeah. or somewhere. It, it is. Yeah. It is like that way. So the, the technical side of it, you get kicked in the stomach mm-hmm. every now and then because it's not an easy process to, 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 to get good at. We've gotten pretty darn good at it. So as our processes have moved forward, um, we've been able to reduce the cost and reduce the price and pass a lot of those savings on to the consumers, which has broadened the appeal. Like when we first came out, when I first got involved, it was $9.95 for a 1.5-ounce bag. And now they're anywhere between three ninety nine and four ninety nine wow. for a 2-ounce bag. That's great. So that's scale, right? You and hear it's the making word scale. it more broader appeal, making it more available to people who might be interested but could never afford it otherwise. Yeah, and right. we're not resting until it's two ninety nine. So. I don't know if you can tell this story. I don't know if you want to tell the story, but you used to tell, I remember talking to you when you were having some issues with, you had made a big investment in dehydrators and one of them was not working well for you and there was a little motor problem. Can yeah. you talk to that for a second? So that was a big kick in the stomach. So, um, you know, without pointing fingers at any one of the number of people that could have been involved in it, um, you know, we the venting system in the major dehydrator that we had was somehow reversing. So when there was too much moisture, it was not opening. And when there was too little, it was opening. And so, you know, we were, you know, every time you lose a batch, it's like 14, 15, $16,000 that you kind of set it and forget it the day before. And the next day you come in and everything's wet and soppy and there's no saving that product. No, it's, it's, it's it's into the dumpster, you know? So, that we we figured out that eventually that a replaced motor that opens the vent and closes it 
had been put on exactly backwards. And so oh it was gosh. operating the exact opposite way. So that took us, you know, a couple weeks um, <laughs> no. to figure that out. And that, that was in another plant that, that, you know, it was all of our equipment, but other people were operating it for us. So things like that happen. And you, you got to pick yourself up every morning and go, how are we going to figure this out? Who am I going to hire that's smarter than me to come help us fix this yeah. issue? Boy, it's so much about finding expertise, isn't it? It's amazing for successful entrepreneurs. Uh, so back to rhythm, you get what, where's, where's, what, the first, what are the first stores you got to, that initial distribution in? Uh, Whole Foods. We're here in Austin. So um, we, we get to run into those people a lot and we shop at their stores. Obviously, everyone, there's so many of them here in Austin. Um, so we, we're friendly with their leadership group over there and the merchandising and buying group. Um, so we see them a lot. And they, so, so they were early adopters. Um, and so as we started sending it to some of the other regions, they were, you know, Whole Foods just isn't early. They are an early adopter of brand new th- items. So they're the first place you go if you've got something new and exciting. Um, and, and there's there's a, a pattern by which you have to kind of go to retail. It's, it's not something that we would have ever gone to Walmart first with. It, it's just a little bit too esoteric for a Walmart consumer. Right. Um, but I'm very comfortable going there now, five and a half, six years later, and saying, this might be time for Walmart shoppers to, to get a... Three ninety nine bag of, of kale chips. So right. there's a time and a place for it all. And then you keep bringing the innovation to Whole Foods and, and yeah. get them because they're there. That's what they do. To your point, and it makes a nice little path there. Yeah. For they always have something distinct and different and unique, and they're kind of on that front edge, which they like to be. Um, so you've already you've already begun to expand into things beyond kale. As much as you can talk about it, what's your big vision for the company? Where do you see it going? Is it is it all about sort of fruits and vegetables as snacks? Uh, what does it look like? Um, for, for, for the foreseeable future, it is. I mean, we see ourselves as kind of a whole plant, you know, snack company. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of diets out there, whether it's a raw food or it's a paleo or it's a low glycemic or a low carb or slow carb. Everything's got a name to it. And there's, you know, there's 5 million people on every one of those diets. And so we try not to proselytize that like you have to be vegan and we're making vegetarian chips and we're making plant snacks that are delicious and have a lot of nutrition in them. So the folks that are eating a burger should be able to enjoy our brand new beet chips. Uh, Mm -hmm. just like someone who's a vegan, uh, love our kale chips. So we, we're going to continue to develop, I would say items that are on the forefront. We're not picking your mainstream, uh, items that are out there and copying. We're usually pretty innovative. Yeah. This is so good. So good. It's time for our final break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Scott Jensen of Rhythm Superfoods, really more about the advice he would give to other young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who are out there listening right now. Remember to check us out on Twitter at New Brand University. You're listening to The Natural Underground. All my life, Welcome back to The Natural Underground. In our final segment, we want to dig even deeper and get some lessons from our guest entrepreneur, Scott Jensen, CEO and founder of Rhythm Superfoods. Scott, welcome back to The Natural Underground. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So if you could go back to day one, even at Rhythm, what would you tell yourself now that you've had the benefit of the time? In other words, what little secret would you whisper into your own ear about... uh, 
what to do differently next time. Move faster. <laughs> Move faster. Yeah, I think uh, um, first I want to say that there's no Bible that you're going to buy that's going to tell every single product, every single company exactly the trail that they have to go follow. Um, but what a good entrepreneur, young entrepreneur does is learns from the stories of others. And you got to kind of filter them and say, ah, oh, well, that sounds like where I'm at. And so when I look back on our initial phase of the, of the growth of the company, I didn't know there were competitors out there also making kale chips. And, and I found out a year into it and there was, you know, someone on the East coast and someone on the West coast and, and all three of us thought we had invented it. Right. Cause no one knew about the other. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, I, I knew the grocery industry and I should have moved faster and scaled faster. But and is that easier to say after the fact than all of the logistics issues of making the kale chips and ramping up? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the part, the big part of it is those, those dehydrators are super expensive. Right. And you have to stand in front of investors and hand them a bag of kale and say, will you write a check for $100,000? I mean, it's different when you're standing in front of them and you've got something like that they understand and can comprehend. Mm -hmm. Chocolate so, chip cookie. Yeah, a, a, a boomerang, you know, steaming hot Australian pie or a bottle of Deep Eddy vodka, things right. like that. I always tell those stories. It's like it's a bag of kale takes a certain investor that's got <laughs> understanding of the natural right. food industry and how big it can be. And where American consumers are going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I sat there and was like, well, if I had it all you know, to do over again, I'd move faster. If you see that you've got something, then there's a way to like capture that shelf space. We gave up shelf space that we should have had very early on in a leadership position that we had to fight real hard to get back um, just by kind of, I don't know if it's hesitation to make sure that the world was ready for a kale chip. We knew the coasts were, but I would move, I would move faster if I had to do over again. When you say hesitation, you were you spent more time almost gardening, making sure it was turning well where you're at, than maybe running into more retailers. Is that what you? Um, I, that's such a tough decision. It, it, it is. I think you know we had we had the normal scaling problems of making sure your supply chain is yeah. is keeping up with things, and that that means farmers and. Uh, but we have like a six month lead time to when you put a deposit down before you get one of these massive dehydrators. They're as big as an eighteen wheeler. And so you really wow. have to know what you're doing. And early on, you're not bankable. So you're not going to, you know, Bank of America and saying, can I get, can I get a loan for this half million dollar dehydrator? So it's equity, right? And, and, and then you become a little bit more bankable for maybe equipment financing people. But by the time, you know, year two or three, things had, had, had been moving. And I was like, wow, there's two competitors. There's one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. And, and I like both of their companies a lot, but competition is competition i'm here to win and had i moved a year earlier and really scaled and hired those salespeople that i needed to hire um there would have been no question that we would have been the, the from the very beginning the dominant so and that that would have moved us quicker to because where we are right now often it's the first mover who grabs that space it right? is it is yeah you guys were on the cutting edge of kale chips as you said before and i remember one of my favorite quotes from talking to you earlier was you said your product looked more like something you would roll up and smoke than something you would eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what are the challenges associated with innovation? And uh, like, for an example, where did you decide to shelve it in the beginning? I mean, the questions are endless. L luckily, on Whole Foods side, they had developed and were, were, were starting to develop out a, um, a raw food set. And But the question is prescient it, it, only in that as we came out of the natural foods uh, channel and started going into kind of more mainstream grocery stores, 
there wasn't a raw food set. There wasn't a superfood set. So where do we go? And every retailer, I mean, for us, we, we walk the stores before we make a presentation because we're not in barbecue sauce. It was easy. Every store is a barbecue sauce category, right? It's, it's that aisle with the mayo and the mustard and the marinade and everything else. But not everyone has a place for a small bag of kale chips. So there are certain retailers that we find we do better in their produce department. There's others that we do better in their gluten-free section. Uh, we don't like to be next to the Doritos or the Lay's potato chips in the salted snack section. So it's a little bit of, of a really difficult place to find where your, your product should be when they're so unusual. But I think that's changing too. I see a lot of retailers right now contemplating and starting to build on, I need a place for these things like dang coconut chips and, Those are and good. Bar, oh, yeah. banana, you know, yeah. chocolate and peanut butter, banana uh, bites and these things that like redheaded stepchildren, right? Mm. Um, it's a but, healthy snack but uh, a section that isn't just the old standbys. Right, and we're looking for our place, and right now we're in three or four different places if you're a consumer. I can't tell you. I need to know what retailer you're going to. Well, in the same light, when you start a completely innovative business like Rhythm, how important is it to be nimble? Like, in other words, how many times did you have to evolve that strategy in terms of packaging? And I know you mentioned that earlier. The packaging went through a lot of different phases. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of consumer research, and, and some of the stuff is simple. Um, but just, you know, here's our new designs, and we send it to 250 people on SurveyMonkey or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also get out into, like, Zilker Park here and set up a tent and have people try five different flavors and give us their two favorites. So we, we are always testing. Uh, we try to be, uh, you know, like a little bit of, uh, of, of an educated big consumer product company and get mm-hmm. appropriate feedback. Um, but it, the retailers we don't control. And so as Whole Foods and the Natural Channel opened up space for our type of products um, for two or three or four years, the raw foods area didn't develop out as much. So some of them have contracted that and are moving us right. into other areas of the store. So you've got to be nimble and you have to recognize that where you may want that product, those retailers may not have the space for it. Right. I noticed you guys are in places like Starbucks now. How important are sort of alternative or what we might call trial-building channels to starting and building out a brand? Um, we, all of our regional sales uh, managers who, who handle headquarter account calls are all calling on some of these alternative channels. Um, there's some convenience store chains that we're doing extremely well in. And, you know, we may not be in... <clears throat> in the dirty old gas station on the side of the road <laughs> that has some beef jerky and, and Slim Jims. and <laughs> Malted milk balls. Yeah. But, but there's some convenience stores that are at the level that we want to be in, and so we have to learn that. And I don't have a convenience store person with you know 20 years of convenience store sales. Um, some of the great places are we call transportation hubs, whether it's train stations or, or oh, airports. And, mm-hmm. and though that reaches like a really good set of uh, consumers. They're, they're highly active, mobile, um, right. have disposable income. and In the right cities, probably, yeah. right markets. So we're, we're in a couple hundred of those places. And in the last couple of years, we've gotten in there. Starbucks is a great customer. Um, it was a two-year relationship in the making. And so we just started this year with them. And, and, uh, and they've got a lot of stores. Um, and, and I'd like to be in all of them. But we're selling very well. And it, it, it kind of fit their strategy of trying to have kind of a savory snack for some people to have right. an alternate thing going on other than the coffee and the pastry in the morning so hope hope they continue with us final question speak to kind of funding you guys have done a a great job really of managing your raises and your funding 
How important is it for an emerging brand to get that first round of funding past sort of friends and family or angel or whoever? How critical is that? So um, if you just want a lifestyle company that you want to own for the next 30 years and, and your family and the family of the employees are all going to be a part of that, um, the growth doesn't have to come as fast. But I'm personally wired that way. Like, I'm excited that we were able to to start a barbecue sauce company and then grow it to the point where you know McCormick um, purchased it last year in 2015. Um, they'll take it to the next level, and I would love to be able to do that for our investors and our stakeholders, employees, all the employees or shareholders too. Uh, so, if, if you are doing things right uh, and you're getting into stores and you're hiring good people, then cash is is the fuel that makes everything happen, and cash means you're either singularly wealthy or your family is singularly wealthy, right. or you might have to stand up in front of some people that are professional investors and understand what's necessary uh, to show them to get them to invest. And, mm-hmm. and we have structure, we have backbone right now in the food industry where there are private equity groups and angel groups that actually are prepared to invest in CPG companies. That wasn't around 10 years ago. Oh, so it's there's a lot more of really good infrastructure now. Yeah, Scott, this has been so great, so informative entertaining thank you for being here um we hope we can have you back soon ask you even more questions just give a call yeah no absolutely thanks for coming on the natural underground scott we've really enjoyed having you uh make sure to follow rhythm superfoods on social media they're on facebook as rhythm superfoods on instagram as at rhythm superfoods and twitter as at (laughs) rhythm superfood that's nice (laughs) very easy to remember (laughs) well that wraps up this week's the natural underground brought to you by new brand university and the touch agency offering integrated brand building to over 100 brands in the natural channel if you have any questions or comments on today's show or if you want to get your own brand off the ground email us at info at newbranduniversity.com we would love to hear from you we also invite you to join the natural underground community on facebook For Jess Ryan and our guest Scott, thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to The Natural Underground.